You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 27. Today we are talking with Lorne Brown about fertility for over 40s. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fee Gitchum. And today our guest is Dr. Lorne Brown. Hi Lorne. Hello. It's great to have you with us. Lorne is the Clinical Director of AccuBalance Wellness Centre and the founder of ProD Seminars, Metagogy and the Integrative Fertility Symposium. After a career as a chartered professional accountant, Lorne received his Doctor of Traditional Chinese Medicine at Vancouver's International College of Traditional Chinese Medicine. Lorne has extensive postgraduate training in gynaecology, obstetrics and reproductive medicine. Internationally known for his groundbreaking work as an educator and advocate for integrative fertility care, Lorne was the first Canadian to be a certified fellow of the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine, the ABORM. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. So welcome to the show today, Lorne. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about fertility for the over 40s and I guess it's a cohort of women that a lot of us see in our clinics but it's, it is a segment of the fertility population that can be a bit harder to get results with. What led you to focusing on working with the older fertility age group? So it's a demographic that um, you know is growing, there's more women. Um, delaying childbearing, so we're seeing women in their late 30s, early 40s, and also the reproductive technology, um, IVF, that exists using your own eggs. Um, up to this point, the success rate goes down dramatically um, in their 40s, so there's lots of women where IVF is not an option, donor egg would be, but not IVF, but yet they can still have this potential or chance to conceive naturally. And so it was just out of them seeking out um, alternatives um, to try to conceive using their own eggs and Chinese medicine is one of those systems of medicine that can support women trying to conceive over 40 and in this case whether they're trying with their own eggs or if they're going into an IVF to give them that extra support to um, help increase the IVF success. And so with the with the increase in well, the increase in age at which women are starting to try to conceive. Are there, are there other factors at play? Do you see that the overall health and well-being of women has changed over time and that that's creating some fertility issues as well? Or is it mainly age that you see as a barrier? So, you know, I always have this discussion, and I know other colleagues probably have this discussion too that are working with fertility. You know, age is a factor. There is a biological clock, and there is a reproductive clock in Western medicine and in Chinese medicine, right? We have in Chinese medicine that 
Um, seven times seven equals forty-nine, right? When the uh, heavenly water, the Tianggui, is gone and and they're they're no longer fertile. So there is this biological clock. So it's not so much um, that it's just their age. Age is a factor. It's it's really um, the wear and tear on the body. So it's not so much how many birthdays you've had. Although, as I just mentioned, you can't discredit age. Age is definitely a factor. But some women age at an accelerated rate. So I often look at it at their biological versus their chronological age. So a lot of women that may come into our practice say at age 41, chronologically they're 41, but biologically they may be behaving 50, um, age 50. And when I say that, how they behaving biologically 50, well, their FSH, their follicle-stimulating hormone, is say above 15 or higher. Um, their antifollicle count is lower. Their hormones may be really out of balance. So they're really not behaving like a 41-year young woman, which should be able to conceive and have a healthy baby. And so this is the other factors, you know, diet, lifestyle, stress, all these things can cause your your body to age quicker. Bringing this back to Chinese medicine, we have this gene, right? We have um, that that diminishes, but we can accelerate it. The, um, we can accelerate how fast we lose that gene um, by our lifestyle. What do they call it? Sex, drugs, and rock and, rock and roll. So it's not just your age. Um, it's it's really how many years have you? How much? How much wear and tear have you put into those years? Yeah, and you mentioned as well that you know a 40, 41 years young woman should be able to conceive, yet with so many of the IVF doctors out there, they're basically saying, look, once you're over 38, that's it, you're done, you're going to need IVF. So how about our role as practitioners of Chinese medicine and natural medicine working in natural fertility? I mean, there's so much education to do. There's lots of education, but you have to remember the, the women that seek out us and seek out the IVF clinics, they're the ones that are having difficulties, right? The women that don't have difficulties that conceive at 41, we don't see, right? They, they go home and uh, they, they're with their partners and, and, they, and they conceive. So with the IVF, they're looking at the stats. So, you know, with their integrity, they're looking at the stats and this is what they're seeing. It's difficult, but not impossible. The technology's changed quite a bit with chromosomal screening these days. Um, so I see anyway in Canada with the, the clinics I work with, and in particular we have one that um, we're, we're on site with, um, they see women over 40, um, it's just once they do the IVF and they see how they respond, um, they can get a sense of whether they have any more chances in the future and whether they should do donor eggs. In Canada at this point in time when we're recording this, I don't think we've seen really um, a live birth for a 44-year-old woman who's done an IVF here. Now that chromosomal screening is coming in, we'll, we'll probably see it because what they're saying is if a woman goes through an IVF and they get um, a normal embryo, which they can test on day five or six through chromosomal screening, if that embryo is normal, then the success rate is, is like any other age. You get, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. The question is, can you get them a normal embryo? Often the women that they see at 44, 45 that go through this process well, if they can get any embryos to even grow to day five or six, and if they do, often none of them are normal, so they don't even get to transfer. So that's where we're at it today with technology in Canada anyway. Um, but age is a factor. You can't ignore it. Um, and so the, the women that I've worked with, you know, are in the late 30s, early 40s. And once they get to that 44 or 45 age, 
Um, IVF really isn't their best option. Donor egg is for us because we just need one really good egg um, from the woman and a good and a good sperm from the man to to fertilize. That's what we need at the end of the day, and uh, to help them have a healthy baby. And that's kind of what we do. You mentioned the education. Our big thing is about educating the public. So we start with just the healthy baby equation. We say you know healthy baby equals healthy egg plus healthy sperm plus healthy uterine environment. So our goal is always the healthy baby. And from my clinical perspective, whether that happens in the bedroom or in the lab, I'm less concerned. I just want the end result to have a healthy baby and obviously healthy parents at the end of it. So my focus is always creating good health with the, um, with the woman and with the man, if she has a partner, to help create that healthy um, baby. Now obviously, we prefer them to concede naturally because that's what they want. It's a lot less expensive than going through an IVF, and it's just a lot more natural and romantic if they're doing it in their the privacy of their home versus an IVF clinic. But that's always our focus. How can we help them get a healthy baby? And that's where Chinese medicine is great. How can we help them um, preserve their jing? How can we help them, you know, you know, it's nourishing the blood, really treating the pattern. Really treating the pattern in Chinese medicine is key. Um, and... Often in our practice, we're seeing people trying to conceive without the without IVF, as well as those going through IVF. And so um, our approach is very similar. It's all about creating health in the man and the woman, leading up to either conception through natural or through IVF when they do the retrieval. It's interesting that you talk about the the idea of you know healthy egg, healthy uterine environment, healthy sperm. I. I find that as far as eggs go, women in their 40s, you know, their, their eggs were made back in the 70s when they were in utero. And so there tends to be, for all from my experience, that if, if the woman's overall health is pretty good, then their eggs tend to be, tend to be in pretty good shape once you get the environment right and you, you kind of support the, the blood and the gene and the shen that I find that they're, they have less issues with their eggs once they're actually produced, rather, you know, as opposed to some of the younger women. I'm finding women in their 30s and even 20s having big issues with egg quality. Is that something that you're seeing yeah, as well? You see all spectrums, but you do see, you know, it's just the odds are there's more of it in the older group, right? It's just, again, they've lived longer, so they've had more chance to insult um, their, their overall system. You know, I like how you're saying, like, you know, they've had their uh, all these eggs in utero. Really, when we when we think about this and look at this, um, looking at the Western perspective, you know, the the follicular recruitment is about a year process for a woman when she, the uh, follicles are recruited until it's released in ovulation. And the last three to four months is when a lot of things happen, a lot of growth, blood flow, FSH receptor cells are downloaded. So really, the last three to four months, it's the environment that's going to impact the quality of this egg. And so the aging, in my opinion, is impacting the environment. I often think that these eggs probably are somewhat suspended in time to a degree, and they get released into this environment from the rest of the state into this ovarian environment, which if the blood flow isn't good, if the hormones are not balanced, if there's toxicity or inflammation, all these counterproductive um, 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 environment then the egg will mature in that but not reach its peak potential. Um, and the analogy I like to share with patients is if I take this great seed and put it in sand, nothing will grow, right? But I have to cultivate the soil. The Chinese medicine idea of nourish the soil before you plant the seed. We need to make sure that environment's good 
so that seed can ripen and reach its potential. And so going back to the, the female in this case, and as well as, as the male, is we want to make sure that her ovarian environment, his statistical environment, is in good shape. It's really healthy and balanced. So for her follicles that she's recruiting and growing, they have the best chance to reach their peak potential, their peak fertility potential. And we don't know what their peak fertility potential is. We don't know if this 40-year woman, uh, young woman, um, if her, if we get her to peak potential, if that's enough to help her create a child. We, you know, you have to open up the, take out the ovary or take out and cut it in half and look at all the eggs, right, to defeat the purpose. So we can't really know what her potential is, what she was given at birth. Um, all we can do is everything we can to make that environment optimal so she can have the best chance of conceiving. And this is where I love Chinese medicine and just acupuncture. When you look at kind of the Western literature, how it possibly impacts fertility, acupuncture has been shown to increase blood flow to the reproductive system. So more blood flow to the ovaries, therefore it's carrying more nutrients, more oxygen, bringing the hormones to the ovaries, to the follicles, right? So we're nourishing the gene in a sense. Um, it's been shown to balance the hormones. So again, we're always looking for that equilibrium and balance. If your hormones are out of whack, think of somebody with blood sugar issues, severe blood sugar issues like polycystic ovarian syndrome. Their eggs aren't going to be great quality. So it brings blood flow. It's been shown to regulate hormones. So for women with PCOS or to help women in, um, ovulate, to induce ovulation, it's been shown to reduce the stress hormones. So those stress hormones um, indirectly bring blood flow away from the reproductive system because we're under stress when we go into that fight or flight mode. Um, reproduction takes a back seat, so does digestion, and it's to survive, right? Fight or flight. So the, the blood flow goes to those large muscles so we can fight or flight. Um, and it's been shown, acupuncture has been shown to increase live birth rates um, in IVF. So when you just think about the blood flow, regulating the hormones, and reducing stress, acupuncture can do a lot for improving the environment. Now, Chinese medicine, we're not just using acupuncture as sticking needles in somebody. We're really coming to an individualized diagnosis. We're using dietary therapy. Many of us are using herbal therapy, lifestyle therapy. So when you start adding acupuncture with stress reduction, qigong, tuena, meditation, moxibustion, herbal, we can really help impact that environment, that soil. So she and he can have the best chance by reaching their peak fertility potential. And and you use an integrative approach in your clinic. So you're not just using acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine and, and Eastern nutrition. You're using supplements right. as well? Yeah, so we do. I'm trained in functional medicine and I have a naturopathic physician in my practice. So we are doing, when a patient comes in, we'll do a Chinese medicine intake, so pulse, tongue, the whole history taking. Um, and we'll also run a lot of functional medicine testing. So we're looking at a full thyroid panel. So we look at uh, TSH, free T3, free T4 antibodies. We'll look at adrenal health. Um, we'll do a lot of, um, often a lot of um, blood testing to see if there's any nutritional status that's out of balance. And then we'll address that. So we see a lot of people with thyroid and vitamin D deficiency, but thyroid or adrenal disharmony or imbalances. And so we'll go at it with acupuncture herbs based on the pattern, right? So, you know, a lot of our thyroid patterns are not all like this, but a lot of them have a liver spleen disharmony. Um, sometimes there's a, a yang deficiency issue. Um, 
So we'll treat with herbs, acupuncture, if necessary, moxa. And then they'll also be getting thyroid support, right? So it can be the T4 or T3 or combination. Um, or they could be on an adrenal program with bioidentical hormones. And when we added this to our practice, we saw our results improve a lot. A lot of the unexplained infertility in our practice uh, from the functional medicine side have a thyroid or an adrenal issue. And um, we have seen um, people with current pregnancy loss when this gets rectified, we see the pregnancy. So we do have an integrative um, role here. And the IVF clinic, we're on site there as well. They have rooms for us. And we have a really great relationship. We're financially independent. We don't always agree on everything, but we communicate. So our patients will send letters to each other and emails and communicate about patients and discuss the approach. Sometimes they'll agree to delay IVF to give us a few months to work with them. Most clinics and the policy for IVF in our practice at this stage of the recording is they're not doing herbs during IVF, but there are exceptions. There are some cases where they've tried everything. They actually think the patient should do donor egg and they'll um, let us do herbal medicine um, during the um, IVF and I say let us people say we you know we're the Chinese medicine doctor we should run the show and again it's just our role here at AccuBalance when you're seeing us for fertility yes we're your primary care physician we make our recommendations but when you're spending a lot of money on IVF there's side effects to IVF we take um, a supportive role and the IVF is the, the lead in this. And so we work with the doctors. We don't always agree. We'll let them know what we think and we'll talk to the doctors, but very respectfully. Um, and I'll give you just an example. We've got a, a woman that we started working with. She ended up having four failed IVFs. So she's in her 40s, high FSH. And the doctor was convinced A quality, um, wanted her to donor egg. She did not want to. We worked with her for a couple of months. Um, and he let her do another IVF foreclosure because he really thought it's not going to work and he didn't want to waste her money and give her all these um, hormonal you know, treatment for the IVF. And we had already worked with her for a couple of months. We see some improvements in her health, but she did not. it did not work. The IVF did not work. She did get out to day five, which was good, but did not work. And she did a couple cycles while we worked with her. And each time, um, the embryos looked a little bit better. But in the end, he says, it doesn't matter. Bad is still bad. It's her age, the quality issue. So IVF is out now. They've done enough IVFs, four or five failures. Donor egg is what they're recommending. She doesn't want to do it. We said we still continue working with her. Now, in her case, we were doing the IVFs, so it's hard for us to be working with the women while they're constantly doing IVFs. You know, it doesn't give Chinese medicine a fair shot, but this is the reality in clinic for a lot of the couples we see. So what ended up happening, we continued to work with her herbally. We started herbally late because she kept on doing IVFs. It wasn't until the last one we did herbs with her. We continued. And we only had a few months of our adrenal program with her at that time. So we were doing the Kalish Method adrenal program when she went into the IVF. Um, we continued on. Three months later, she conceived naturally. So five failed IVFs. Finally, she conceived naturally, and she's gone on and gave, gave birth. So just an example here, right? Sometimes IVF is not the option anymore, and sometimes we can do wonderful things for these people. And I like the integrative approach. So we work with the IVF clinic, we talk about our approaches, um, and uh, we have that open relationship. So we're really lucky, our patients are really lucky because it's it's very um, a positive relationship, and we definitely don't agree on everything. It's two different paradigms. But we're pretty patient-centered care, and they're open to hearing what we're we want to do. And sometimes, you know, like we get a lot of the male fertility cases now because they don't have anything except for ICSI, right? Intersperm um, injection, cytoplasmic sperm injection, where they inject the sperm into the egg, and um, and so 
if that doesn't work and they see that the embryos are resting very quickly on the women, they don't see an issue and their embryos are resting very quickly by day three, um, they'll often send the guys here because they've seen anecdotally um, these guys' sperm turn around, their parameters improve, and more importantly, they see they get pregnant with their IVF or, which I love, the couple get pregnant while they're preparing for the IVF. So they're doing their Chinese medicine with us, and then when they go into the IVF, they don't even get to the IVF because they conceive naturally. With the guys, just to, for our listeners, in our practice, it's really hard to get the guys in. Even when it's male factor, it's very, the guys don't tend to come to the clinic very much. It's usually the women that comes in. And for the men, some will do the acupuncture, some will do the herbal, but most of the treatment we're doing with guys is diet and supplements, like a lot of antioxidant therapy. There's only a small group of guys that do the acupuncture and herbal. Most of them we don't even see. The women just pick up supplements for their guys at the clinic. And again, just telling you not how I like it, but that's just the reality. And when I talk to other colleagues, it seems to be the same thing. Men tend to not be the guys coming into the clinic. It's the female, and that's even when it's the male issue. I think a lot of that also is reinforced by the IVF process where there's so much focus on the woman and all of the treatments and procedures and appointments and scans and blood tests it's all around centered around the woman and really the man provides a sperm sample and that's pretty much it yeah well there's two reasons for that one is all reproductive endocrinologists in canada anyhow i don't know how it was in the uk or in australia but they're all gynecologists and then they go on to become reis right reproductive yeah. endocrinologists yeah. so they don't really deal with the penis Right? Mm. That's not their focus. They've only focused on women's health. So that's part of it, right? That's what their focus is. The other thing is they developed this tool called ICSI. Um, and it's such a great tool for them that it's um, Dr. Paul Turek, who's a urologist, was quoted at the Integrated Fertility Symposium in 2015 saying, ICSI is the worst thing that's happened to men's health because what happened is fertility, male fertility issues, is a biomarker of poor health. There's, there's cancer risk. Right? And so rather than men taking care of their health and making these changes so there's an epigenetic change, the men just do ICSI. And so their risk for cancer doesn't change because they bypass change in their health through the um, IVF process. So um, that's because it's just easier to do ICSI than to change your lifestyle and habits. I will say that I know at this um, Integrated Fertility Symposium, Dr. Paul Turk and there's another presenter that are scheduled. There is a new test that's coming on the market. It's very exciting because the male the male test sperm semen the semen analysis sorry motility morphology and count is really rudimentary. It really can't tell you the sperm's going to give life. They can tell you that your chances of getting pregnant naturally are low based on the sperm test, but they can't really tell you when the, when it looks normal whether it really is normal like it's life giving. This new test is testing DNA, like epigenetics of the sperm, and it can really um, start to, they believe it's going to give a good explanation to why there's, um, they're having unexplained infertility or recurrent pregnancy loss. So we'll be having that presented at this conference um, at the Integrated Fertility Symposium. We're really excited about that, of course. And I, I will share that it's a, a, it's a nice shadow for Chinese medicine. Um, at the Integrated Fertility Symposium, there's reproductive endocrinologists, medical doctors, urologists, um, functional medicine practitioners, acupuncturists, lecturing, and the audience is Chinese medicine and some naturopath, but it's mostly Chinese medicine. It's just an integrative speaking group. Well, Paul Turk, the urologist, the medical reproductive urologist, is listening to all our talks and how we're treating fertility, and he gets up at the panel. He goes, I get you guys now. He says, everything you're doing is about epigenetics. 
you're all about improving the health of the mother and the father to improve the health of the child. And by improving the health of mother and father, you're going to help increase their, you know, I'm using the words fertility potential. That's not the words he used. But he understood what we're doing is all about epigenetics. He says, you're ahead of Western medicine. It's only in the last 10 years we really started understanding epigenetics. But everything you're explaining about 2,000 years ago in this gene, you know, he was throwing our terms around. He's like, you guys are dealing with epigenetics. He was blown away. He goes, and I understand what you're doing during IVF. IVF throws the woman totally out of balance. They take control of the menstrual cycle and the drugs really throw them out of balance. And what you're doing is trying to keep them in balance during this process uh, with the hope it's going to increase its outcome. And he really was, was surprised um, what we can do um, based on coming to our lectures. Because, you know, they just hear we do acupuncture and for them, you know, you stick a needle in the shin. How is this going to help with somebody's fertility? But when we started hearing the lectures and everything, our theories and what we're doing and why, and then some of the research, how acupuncture does impact blood flow, hormones, stress, he really started to appreciate what we offer for both the man and the woman um, while they're trying to conceive naturally or with IVF. That's so great to hear that they're starting to understand, you know, and there's so many things that you're saying that are really similar for us over here, working with the thyroid and the adrenals and the men not really necessarily being willing to come in. Um, and, you know, it makes me think about when, when you understand, you know, if a woman's got hypothyroid and... Um, She's been through a couple of IVFs and they've actually reduced her fertility, the outcome of the stress of all of that treatment and the impact of the um, all the medication interventions. Um, that I've seen this wonderful chart about the oogenesis, the cycle of the egg once it is selected for ovulation, that it takes the body five months to then ovulate, develop that egg before it ovulates it. So, um, you know, I've had discussions with women where often they are really given this sense of urgency from their gynecologist or their IVF specialist, you know, that like time's running out, you know, it's like you've only got three months worth of eggs left and they're not very good. So we've got to, you know, do this now. And at the same time, I'm saying, well, look, we can start working on this and the eggs that you're ovulating in six months time are going to be better than the eggs that you're ovulating now. And I find that really assisting with the, you know, the patient expectations is is probably the most tricky part because it takes time to actually improve their fertility and yet they've been told they've got no time left. Right. Well, I'll, I'll share with you again my experience. I've been doing this since 2000. And so when I first started, I used to try and ask my patients to wait three or four months and... Um, and, and most of them didn't. I mean, even if they said they weren't trying to conceive while working with them, they were, you know, in certain cases. And it was just difficult for them to do this. Here's how I manage the patient's expectations and how I approach it now. Because there is some truth to this, right? Um, from a Western perspective, time is running out because they know from an IVF perspective, they have their stats. They know with age that the success rate and miscarriage, the success rate declines and miscarriage rate can increase. And so they're coming from a, a good place because they're coming from what they know and they don't want her to lose that chance of having um, a baby. So when a woman comes to me, and I, I, I mean I had this today, so she came into my practice and she's 39, her FSH is 15. And um, so this is, this is elevated, right? This is um, kind of perimenopausal, menopausal type of uh, numbers. And in IVF, they wouldn't be optimistic with an FSH of 15 because the drugs they're giving you are FSH derivatives. 
So she's come to us. So I just ask the questions. I just I, I always ask what the patient's expectations are and see where they're sitting. If they're gung-ho and they're ready to do an IVF, I don't try and talk them out of it. I educate them, let them know about all their options, all their options. Because, again, I'm not tied to them having to do Chinese medicine. I just want them to have a healthy baby and to have that baby. So I start asking, you know, okay, she's 40 or 39, FSH of 15. I've never been pregnant before. Husband has her husband has motility issue, so I first start saying, "Is donor egg an option for you guys? Would you guys do a donor egg?" No, not an option. So now I know IVF with their own eggs or with us, right? Because donor egg here has a seventy-five percent success rate. So if she says, "I'm ready to do donor egg," I would show her how we can support her with donor egg. So um, I said, "Do you have a sense when you do IVF?" She goes, "I don't, I don't know." And I so I share with her. I said, "You know, IVF, your window for IVF is shrinking. Your FSH is fifteen. Your age is 39. So I think uh, drawing a line in the sand, if you're not pregnant by a certain date, you may want to look into the IVF. The reason being is when IVF window closes, the Chinese medicine window does not because IVF is a numbers game. They need to see, they need they need several fall, um, em, eggs to make embryos um, to either pick one to put back in on transfer day or to send off to get um, tested for chromosomes, right? The chromosomal screening. We just need them to release a good egg and the sperm uh, and the man's sperm to make it there and uh, and one of them to penetrate. And so we have or fertilized. We have seen um, over and over in our practice and my colleagues that are part of that ABRM that you mentioned in the in the introduction, we have seen people where IVF doesn't work for them. They're not getting pregnant. They're not getting embryos, but yet they conceive later naturally. So. Again, what I don't want to do, which I've done early, early in my practice, is I don't want them to work with me for six months to a year, not get pregnant naturally, and then they go to the IVF clinic and say, sorry, we can't do anything for you now. Because then they're going to have a lot of resentment and regret. So, again, this is just the reality. What I've learned through my clinical practice is I, I, I assess where they are, what their expectations are. If they do the IVF and they get pregnant, we're really happy. If they do the IVF and it doesn't work, they're really ready to sit down and do the natural approach. And I had more time for the natural approach. I shared with you at the beginning of our podcast that woman that had five IVFs and then we finally had time to do everything we wanted to do and she got pregnant naturally. Um, I always explain the healthy baby approach, healthy egg, sperm, uterine environment. We look, first thing we want to do is regulate the cycle. So even if she's planning to do an IVF, I will explain how we'd like to have a good three months to bring things in balance. Ideally, if I could go abracadabra and everything was in balance now, it would still take at least three months for the for that to show up in the equality because there's that maturation, right? So if I went abracadabra today, then the next ovulation, it's only had one month in that three-month good recruitment process. The next ovulation's had two. The next one's three. And I let them know it's going to take me three to six months to a year to balance you. And then once you're balanced, I still want three good cycles, right? I want those follicles to be in that good environment. So I explain the big picture, I explain what I've seen clinically, what the Western stats are, and then I let, help them decide, but they decide, and then I support them in whatever they want. Because such an emotional process trying to have a baby, going through infertility, and, um, and I've learned that sometimes I've asked women to wait, and they waited, and they didn't get pregnant, and the IVF didn't work. Sometimes they did wait, and it did work, right? Um, with us naturally. Sometimes they've gone into the IVF right away when I told them to wait and the IVF worked. And sometimes they went in and it didn't work. My point is there is no right way. I don't think I know anybody that says if you do it this way it will work. There is no right way so we got to look at the per patient's whole history, 
their spiritual, financial, social circumstances, and then advise them on their best approach. Because I have worked with people for a year where everything looks great and they still don't get pregnant naturally or with IVF. So I know just because they're going to work with us doesn't mean they're going to get pregnant. But usually, this is the beautiful part with Chinese medicine, usually when they work with us, even if they don't have a baby, most of them feel that it was worth their time and money because they don't have PMS anymore, they don't have migraines anymore, they're no longer freezing cold, their acne's better, their hair on their head's growing back. We've created health. Sometimes that peak fertility potential isn't enough to have a baby, but they still feel their quality of life, both physically and mentally, is better. When you go through an IVF, you don't say, that was really a good $12,000 I spent. I didn't get pregnant. I know I have an extra 5 to 10 pounds on my, my belly now from all the hormones, but hey, that was great. I don't mind doing it. That doesn't happen with IVF. <laughs> but when they come to Chinese medicine, most of them, because we're working on such an emotional, spiritual, physical level, they see the physical changes, right? That's pretty easy, basic, easy Chinese medicine doctors can help with their cycle, their digestion, their health, their mood, their, their sleep. And then some of us can really get in and help them on an, an, an emotional, spiritual level where they have this transformation and they're okay if they don't have a baby. Um, and they're better physically, mentally. So, you know, I don't just focus on them getting pregnant. I focus on them being whole and healthy. And I understand they're coming to have a baby, so I'm doing everything I can to support them. And I let them know all their options, donor egg option, IVF on their own. I let them know about the chromosomal screening, all the stuff they can do. I let them know about our approach to functional medicine. Um, and then I ask them what feels right for you, right? What do you want to do? And uh, so I let them be informed and educated. Usually they first come in in a stressful panic state, so they're not making really clear decisions because they're coming from fear, and I gotta do this, I gotta do that. I'm not talking about that. I help educate them, make them feel informed, um, give them the confidence, because I can share so many success stories, I can share research with them, and then say, okay, now once they realize there's things we can do and they're in a better space, they're coming out of the fear and they see that there's there's hope, then we, then we check in to see what, what's resonating for them. And then whatever they choose, we support them. You know, It's their body, their way. So then we support them, whatever they choose, whether that's going to IVF, going to donor cycle, trying naturally, or being child-free. I think that's a really um, good point as well, those stories where you do work with someone for a year and they don't end up becoming... Um, pregnant but yet they find other ways to fulfill themselves or to offer their maternal instincts to the world and and they feel fulfilled by the journey that's also a really special trajectory yes I mean it, it allows us to have a hundred percent success rate without everybody having a baby right if you if you just count um, babies then you know it's a, it's a tough gig right but if you count um, just people coming out of your you know if they if they're after they come through a series of treatments and they say wow even like you know they're in the middle of treatment and we hear this so often I'm sure you guys do too is wow even if I don't get pregnant I'm already happy I'm doing this and I've come here you know that is that's huge right even be, even while you're in the middle of working with them when they make that comment that I'm so happy I'm here and even if I don't get pregnant this has been worth it you know that's a good thing. And the only way we can help them get pregnant is by doing that, right? Improving their fertility potential, their overall health on a mental, physical, and spiritual level. You know, for the um, our colleagues out there, you know, I had a woman come in. I'm going to give you an example of how I managed this in the because we were talking about expectations for, pe for patients and how you manage the care. So she's um, age um, 42, FSH of 30, cycles are irregular. She has a five-year-old son. 
Okay, so the fertility clinic said not a chance. She went to two of them. There is no chance. We are not doing IVF with an FSH of 30, age 42. Um, you need donor egg. So when she came to me, she said, this is my situation. Can you help? And we've helped people with high FSH. So I said, we can't help. We need to get you ovulating first. But I have a question for you. Is donor egg an option? She goes, you know what? Donor egg is an option, but I wouldn't want to do it for about a year. I would like to see if I can do it naturally. I don't want to, I want to leave no stone unturned, as she put it. And I said, that's wonderful because somebody 42 with an FSH of 30, it's going to take me a year, I think, to get you to that place anyhow. And so we'll work with you. And if you don't conceive naturally, you'll be mentally in a better place too because for donor aid because you've already tried everything. Anyways, we started working with her. Her cycle returned. And about four months later, she can see naturally, and she's already had her little girl. So she didn't do donor egg. IVF was not an option. And I said to her, you know, your prognosis is, is not great because FSH of 30, that's tough. You're 42, so you're at the end of your, your reproductive years, and you're not even ovulating regularly. But I said our first approach, so this is my key to my colleagues, what I've learned from my mentors is the first thing we do with fertility is we've got to regulate the cycle in the woman. So I knew I had to help regulate her cycle. You always go back to treating the pattern. A lot of times the way I treat, because I use Chinese, I'm trained as a herbalist and acupuncture. So me and my practice, often I'll do the pattern based on herbs. And then the acupuncture, I'll do often protocols, like research-based. So for her, I did the um, Victorian Stenner protocol to help induce ovulation, very similar to a PCS protocol. These are all on Metagogy and Prote Seminars. This is where I learn everything right from these. Uh, my mentors are all online through my company. But I used her acupuncture protocol to help get the regulate the hormones to induce ovulation. And I treated her pattern with herbs. We did diet because um, she had other health issues, right? And so we saw the other things changing. Her cycle returned, and she went on to conceive naturally and, and have a sibling, which is what her goal was. She wanted a sibling for her only child. Um, so that was me managing it. I let her know about donor egg. Is that an option? Some are resistant to it for whatever reason, which I respect. Some are like, in this case, yes, I would do it. Just not now. I would like to try everything I can. So when I do a donor egg, I don't have regrets. I want to know that I tried everything. And I said, that's reasonable. And then I explained to her the process. Acupuncture, in her case, I wanted her twice a week. You know, it was a three-month process of twice a week. There's herbs she has to drink. You know, we do the powder concentrates. We're going to play with some dietary changes. There's a few supplements I wanted. And we went for it. But do treat with pattern. I know a lot of people do... Um, don't treat pattern. They see the Western disease and the automatic, like, you know, old age or low ovarian reserve is not kidney inefficiency, but I see a lot of people equate that. Um, in my practice, maybe it's just the way it is in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, but I see a lot of more on the yang side, the qi yang blood deficiency. I don't see very much yin deficiency in fertility. Hardly ever, actually, in my practice do I see yin deficiency in fertility um, when I go by the pattern. It's Usually a chi or a yang cold um, is usually uh, the area that I'm seeing um, when I'm treating. We definitely, in this in our clinic, we get a lot of, I would say that the top three patterns are probably yang deficiency, blood deficiency, and then I would say cold. Maybe I would put yin deficiency maybe at number four or number five as far as yeah. infertility mm. in the over 40s. Yeah. It'd be way down there. You know, Dr. Leon Hammer, um, 
he he has a free lecture on metagogy and it's all about blood and fertility. So metagogy.com is a free website, right? It's all free lectures. And he did that for the integrated fertility symposium. It's a great lecture because blood is so important for fertility, right? Blood is so important. And, and you know, we see this um, when they come in with these blood deficiency signs and it's difficult to build blood, especially in our vegetarians, right? Um, one of my... Uh, our fun success stories, this woman was 40, antrophological count of one. So they, they couldn't, you know, they said for IVF, we only see one follicle. They tend not to want to do it because, you know, that's a lot to, a lot of money and a lot to stimulate one egg and it may not even fertilize, create an embryo. Um, so we were doing acupuncture and herbal medicine and we weren't seeing, you know, we didn't see her cycle change much. You know, she had short bleeds, light bleeds. So finally, um, we said, can you treat um, animal protein as medicine? Because that's probably the best herbal treatment I can give you. And so she started making these really great liver, strawberry, um, meat things. Like she, it was disgusting, which even what she told me she was doing that was like, that's disgusting. Did you but say anyway, liver, was, strawberry? She took it to her and her, her cycle, the blood date, the, it went, you know, it lengthened how much she bled and the amount, um, lengthened. She went back, they did an antrophological count and went from one to four. They did an IVF they put back two embryos and one took and she has her baby. I mean, so, you know, again, the beauty of Chinese medicine is going back to the, you know, she was severely blood deficient and I wasn't getting there with my acupuncture and herbal. So finally I said, can you please eat animal protein, right? I go after the pattern, go after the pattern, right? So I went after the pattern. And that's why I like integrating because when I use my um, functional medicine, sometimes I'm, I'm looking at them from a functional medicine perspective, so I'm running two paradigms parallel, but sometimes I'm just treating um, the pattern with Western drugs, like, you know, just, okay, I think of Synthroid more of a, like a spleen or a kidney tonic, right, warming in a sense, right? To me, progesterone creates heat and can cause chi stagnation, so if my patient is um, severely liver chi stagnated with depressive heat, Progesterone usually, when you know, women will take sometimes a bioidentical progesterone in the luteal phase. We see spotting, we see worse breast tenderness. They, they get miserable, right? Um, these are the you know, it's not fit for that pattern. Nor is Clomid, right? Clomid dries the blood more, aggravates the cheese stagnation. But if somebody's like a spleen yang deficiency, cold. Clomid, they usually respond well because it's warming. And then again, progesterone. These are the women that progesterone really helps the PMS symptoms, right? Because they have Chi stagnation, but a lot of you know more like a shayo sun idea. The spleen is deficient, and also the liver is stagnated. But it's not this severe chi stagnation with depressive heat or or blood dryness where progesterone often um, will aggravate. So again, I just keep coming back to TCM and do my best to reframe these drugs into the energetics of our medicine. And so if somebody says, "Can I do Clomid?" If they're really blood and yin deficient, and severely chi stagnated. Um, I don't really encourage them to. These are the ones I don't think respond well. These are the ones that get road rage and go totally crazy on clomid, clomiphene. Um, and these are the ones that are probably, are. Uh, I've never done a study on this. This is just me thinking out loud here. They're probably the ones that get the cyst and don't do well on, on clomid, you know, the ones that get headaches and, and all those symptoms. So, you know, that's going back to Chinese medicine, which is really special about treating them as individuals, right? Don't treat them as a disease. Yeah, and especially with with really powerful fertility drugs, they can have some really detrimental effects. I've I've had patients where it's taken months to undo just you know just the side effects from one cycle with Clomid. Yeah, you know the drugs. Um, you know, it depends what their constitution is. So some of the drugs can um, throw them off a bit, and, and um, you know IVF process. I always say. 
you know, if it works, it's worth it for them, right? If it doesn't work, it's not worth it. But, you know, just going in to retrieve the eggs, I would imagine that's going to create some blood stasis, right? Because it's trauma to the ovaries. You're going in and you're poking and pulling out these eggs. So I imagine repetitive um, retrievals. And again, I'm imagining. I'm not here running a study and, and we're, we're documenting to see what their pattern is and what's happening. But just theoretical, if you're going in there, um, you're probably consuming some of the gene by taking these FSH derivatives. You're causing, you know, usually these follicles, you grow a whole bunch every month for the woman. One becomes dominant, which will go on to be released. The rest get reabsorbed by the body. But now we're giving them drugs to um, grow all of them, right? And some, you know, the debate we have is, well, but it's the FSH. You're getting exogenously, you know, so the FSH is going. So it's not going to consume the gene because we're giving you the gene externally to grow them. But I still think you're giving the gene, you're still creating the body to keep growing these things that they normally wouldn't. And maybe, again, we're just, this is, you know, we said we're going to do coffee talk, right? Just as we talk at the water cooler. Um, you know, maybe when um, these things get absorbed, we're maintaining the gene. These follicles get absorbed, you know? So, you know, if, if it wasn't meant to be like that, why would the body um, do it this way, right? If it just needed one, then you should have just released one. Why is it growing several, but only one gets released and the rest get um, reabsorbed by the body? Is there a purpose? I don't know. But I think of these things as incredibly dense gene, right? So, and we're going in and we're taking all of them. So maybe it's impacting the body. We mm. don't know. But again, when it comes to fertility, Having done this since 2000, um, women, the women I see will do, majority of them will do anything to conceive and, and even do something that's expensive and has side effects um, like IVF. The prize is so worth it, right? You know, you get the baby, it just seems, it's so worth it to go through that if you get to um, have your child. So they're willing to, uh, to, to do it. And it's amazing how, you know, they already love this child, but they haven't even, hasn't even conceived. So I, I really find it so interesting how they're so connected and, and they have this biological burning desire um, to, to give life to a, to a child. I will let you know that all the women I've worked with that have had to do donor eggs, have no regrets, except they wish they did it sooner. So they love these babies as their own, they're happy, but they have to go through the process of not doing it with their own eggs, not naturally in IVF. And they, it takes them a while, many of them, to get to the donor egg. So sharing with my colleagues that are thinking of getting to IVF, there is a process for these women and couples, but if they do the donor egg and if they have a baby at the end of it, they are so happy. Like any other my other patients, whether they did it with natural or with IVF, it's just, they're, they're happy. Do you have any um, thoughts you'd like to share with us on the reasons for the decline in fertility in both egg quality and definitely with the sperm, there's a massive decline? You know, uh, you're asking my personal opinion. I think, um, I don't think it's so much the aging process. Um, I do, I know we hear this a lot. I think um, there's too many chemicals in our environment. I think we're stressed right out, so our sympathetic system's on, which creates inflammation and causes hormone dysregulation. So I think we're aging at an accelerated rate, um, and we're developing degenerative diseases. So we may be living longer, but we're not living better or healthier. You know, longer we're we're getting old um, prematurely. And I think um, there's toxins in our environment. There's lots of uh, um, mental stress. Um, our life habits, our sleep, you know, our, our circadian rhythms off, and our food is not food anymore. Um, it's you know, it's processed. It's not it's not nutritious. It's grown again in soils that are void. So, if you're asking my opinion, I think the solution is to first take care of our farmers and our earth, and 
and uh, and I think if we get the chemicals, if we, we had less chemicals, you know, your car has fire retardant on it, right? Everything is full of chemicals. Um, the stuff that we put on our food to uh, get rid of insects, well, it renders them sterile. So they have a short life cycle and they, be, they just don't reproduce. They die and there's no reproduction. So we're consuming this. So um, I think that's why we're seeing a decline in fertility. Um, that's my, we, we don't live well, we don't follow the Tao, right? Um, so we, we, um, we stay up late, we stress a lot, we work hard, we, we have lots of desires on an emotional level, our food isn't great. The good news is I want to share back from the acupuncture perspective, there's a really nice study that was published um, by Lee Hollander Rubin, um, and it talks about using acupuncture. So I'm just going to I want to change. I'm going to digress for a second, or, or go on a tangent, because I don't want us to to miss talking about this, because it's really good for acupuncturists and Chinese medicine practitioners about the frequency of treatment and dosage of treatment and what acupuncture can do in an IVF setting. She did a study, um, which she called Whole Systems Chinese Medicine, where she looked at using more like a clinical setting, where they looked at doing acupuncture along with herbs or diet or stress reduction or supplements. So everybody had acupuncture and then they had a combination of herbs, diet, lifestyle, supplement. And everybody had a minimum of 12 acupuncture visits in what in, in the groups or they just had no acupuncture at all or they just had acupuncture on transfer day. Because most of the studies that have been done to this day of the recording are done on acupuncture on transfer day. Well, guess what? On transfer day, you can impact the health of the sperm of the egg because they're in the Petri dish. All you can do is um, impact the uterine receptivity because it's an embryo now in the lab on transfer day, right? So all we can do is help with uterine receptivity. But that's where you look at the studies. So those studies, whether it works or not, it's controversial. Lee Hollander Rubin's study showed that acupuncture only on transfer day compared to IVF did not increase live birth rates. But acupuncture, a minimum of 12 visits leading up to transfer, increase the live birth rate in fresh, frozen, and in donor egg cycles. And there's other studies, not Lee's, but there's another study just looking at frozen embryo transfers using acupuncture three months leading up to the transfer date, increased um, live birth rates. So two things are going on there. One is uterine receptivity, and the other thing probably is embryo quality, right? But the key here was dosage. And we all know this in Chinese medicine. How many people can treat somebody once with acupuncture and cure them, right? Or make a major life... It's like somebody says, I'm overweight and I want to be healthy. I want to lower my blood pressure. So I go to the gym one day and then the next day I go to my doctor and say, measure all my bloods in my waist. Did I lose any weight? Right? <laughs> it's, not real, it's not realistic. Acupuncture is dosage dependent and it, you need a series of it. You know, in China it's done almost daily. Here we're doing it once a week or twice a week. So she showed in her research that it was dosage dependent and you needed some frequency of the acupuncture leading up to transfer. But it was the first study where they looked at live birth rates. So that's Lee Hollander Rubin. And if I can plug her, she's put a series together on Pro-D for um, how she did her whole system, how to bring this into your practice, right from the basis of IVF, understand the whole IVF process, right up to using the whole systems, traditional Chinese, whole system Chinese medicine, she called it, um, into, your, into the IVF process. And so that's really great, too, that if patients know, hey, we can increase live birth rate, that's huge. And to let them know, not just on transfer day. In my practice, if I work with women for at least three months leading up to transfer, I tell them, I don't care if we do the transfer day or not. You don't have to do it. But if you want, we can. We use it as like a study analogy. 
you know, they say, how often should I come? I go, well, if you want to get an A plus on the exam, you'll get a better grade if you study twice a week versus once a week. And you'll get a better grade if you study for three months versus once a month. And if you study twice a week for three months um, up to that exam, then the night before, you're fine to go to a movie and not do anything. But if you want to do a little review the night before, then sure, go for it. And that, to me, is what the transfer day treatment is. It's like a little fresh up. But if you haven't prepared yourself before, it's probably not enough to make a big difference in most cases. Um, and if you prepared yourself a lot beforehand, then it may help you a little bit more, obviously. But really, the key was preparing leading up to transfer day. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Thank yeah. you for sharing that research as well. I mean, I think it's such a good analogy that you give because I think this is also another part of educating and setting patient expectations and, you know, how we really need to discuss what, not just having acupuncture, but there is information about the frequency of acupuncture that causes a particular effect and lasting effect rather than momentary effects that can And, and there's pass. another study for that too on, on polycystic ovarian syndrome. So um, Elizabeth Stenner Victorian, she has research out there and again she's on Medagogy for free lecture and she's on Pro-D as well and she has shown dosage dependence. So they've done acupuncture, electrical stim acupuncture and two, three, four, even up to five times a week which would change the, uh, the morphology of the ovary, like show the change in the ovary, right? So these women could start to ovulate again, regulate their cycles. I did an interview with her, and I think that's the one that's a metagogy, and I asked her about the frequency, and what about two, three, four, five, and what she said is the more complicated or difficult they are, you know, these clomid-resistant women that aren't ovulating or just not responding, she goes, often you need three, four, or five treatments. Ideally, she says you should do it more often, but in the study scenario, because of timing and cost, they went with twice a week, and that's why they went twice a week. But she showed that many of the people would need three or four treatments. And so our PCOS approach at our clinic is we have women – we try to have women come in four times a week for four to six uh, – uh, anywhere from uh, 10 to 16 weeks. We try to have them come in four times a week using the um, Elizabeth Stenner's um, approach, and we're doing herbal and not always, but often they're doing the Chinese herbs. We're using supplements as well, so they're never just doing the acupuncture, dietary therapy. But I love treating PCOS. I think Chinese medicine um, can do wonderful things. We can really change the whole hormonal presentation for this woman and help regulate their cycles and get them ovulating again. Um, and I think acupuncture is one of the key components for our success. And um, if somebody has PCOS, I want them a minimum of twice a week, ideally four times a week. Um, and we, we price it out so it works for them as well. So we make it so it works so they'll come in for the four times because um, we've seen it work really well. And Stenner Victorian's research is showing dosage and Lee Hollander Rubin's showing dosage. So a lot of the points, you know, when I mentor and people ask me questions, their diagnosis is good. Even the acupuncture pre-treatments they're doing are great. But the woman's coming in every two weeks. Well, there you go. It's dosage. You know, you go back to the patient that doesn't want to come in more often. You say, you know, you're on Clomid. You're supposed to take it for five days. How about you just take it two days? Right? You go, why would I do that? It won't work. Exactly. Right? Mm. Or your IVF drugs. Take half the dose every other day for the next 10 days for your IVF. Why would I do that? I won't get as good a response. It won't work. Exactly. Right? That's why we want you to do the acupuncture with this frequency, or this is why I need you to take the herbs twice a day, or this is why I need you to eat, you know. So I always explain, this is what I know works. Um, we're working with a natural system, the human body. If we do all, you know, you can plant in the spring, 
But that doesn't mean in the summer you get to harvest. No matter how good your soil is, how good your seed is, you only get to harvest in the fall, right? Same thing. You know, there is a natural system and we can override it. IVF can override it. That's what we're doing. But we're working with the system. We're working with the human being. And so we're only adding support and uh, changing that environment so they can reach their peak fertility potential. I think it's really important that uh, that you focused on that particular point, Lorne, and I think that it's really important for practitioners to hear that because often we can be led astray by our patients. You know, we get so involved in their story. It's part of the way that we use our medicine. And, you know, they're telling us about how busy they are and about how stressed they are and, you know, they're also telling us about how expensive all of this is. And so we can, we can let that cloud our ability to give you know a proper treatment protocol i agree i i don't manage their wallets i tell them what will work you know they say you know they can't afford you it's interesting because they'll say they can't afford your chinese medicine practitioner but yet they're doing the second or third ivf so it is affordability in a sense but it's also where they see value and what they think will work and so if you can communicate the value if you have successes um then they may be more interested but our role really is to let them know what we know will work and, um, and so I want success as much as they do. And so if they say they're coming every two weeks, I tell them then it's just like a spa treatment. Um, <laughs> you know, just like eating well every two weeks or only exercising every two weeks. It's better than not doing it at all. But I don't know if it's enough to tip you over to the place where you want to go. And then I let them choose, right? So, yeah, it's really important for practitioners to let them know you, you, you have to explain to patients what, what will work. Um, just like the IVF clinic, this is the dosage of the drug we're going to give you, and this is how many days you're going to need to take it. And the patient doesn't say, well, I rather, I don't like to do the needle, so I'm, I'd rather just do it every other day. And you know what? It's a little pricey, so I'm going to take a little bit less of the medicine. That's not an option, right? Um, so same thing. You just got to let them know what works. And that's the beauty of Louis Stenner Victorian's work on PCOS, um, Lee Hunter Rubin's work, Dr. Paul Magarelli and Diane Cordenda, their study was twice a week, um, up to nine treatments leading up to uh, retrieval and transfer, <clears throat> and they showed um, a reduction in miscarriage and ectopics and increase in pregnancy rates. So dosage is important. That's the beauty of other colleagues coming forward and sharing what works for them so you can confidently tell patients what will work, right? And so when I mean, you look at the research in China on things, this is what works. You know, when I used to treat a lot of sport medicine early in my practice, that was a lot what I did. I have people come two or three times a week. They still come six times um, over a two week in a two week period, and they might have seen somebody else once a week for six times, and it didn't work because it wasn't frequent enough. So they paid the same amount of money, but with me they did it in half the time, but it worked. Just the frequency, right? It's dosage. I think a lot of acupuncturists are missing the dosage. Now it depends on your style of practice. There's some acupuncturists they have certain styles. I've heard them. They said they only need to do it once a week, and that's what they go by. I've trained Zong Fu style of Chinese medicine, right? Our school is very strong herbal and uh, the acupuncture, you know, a blood deficiency, you know, stomach 36, REN 12, spleen 6, bladder 20, you know, that's the idea. I have other people that are using um, entry and exit points and Tong stuff and Kiko stuff. I don't know, maybe they don't need to do it as often, but the stuff that I've seen on research and how I was trained, um, it works. And so, and, and that's how it works, it's the frequency. Mm. 
Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. Um, I have to say I was particularly excited when you touched on the epigenetics as well. Uh, I think that might be a whole nother conversation, though, because I practice combining the integrative Chinese medicine with nutrigenomics. And so, you know, that whole emerging field, I think, is is definitely a potential topic for another another time. Dr. Paul Magarelli did a talk on Chinese medicine's epigenetic impact um, at the Integrated Fertility Symposium, the 2016 one, and that's at the ifsymposium.com website. His 2016 talk was on epigenetics and what Chinese medicine can it and how does it impact the epigenetics of the sperm and egg. So he brought in the science. He's a reproductive endocrinologist, so it was quite interesting and fascinating how we, so you would probably find that interesting, as would our listeners, right? Um, Because... I do think we are playing with epigenetics. Um, you know, when you learn what epigenetics is, Chinese medicine is impacting the epigenetics. We are we are impacting the future health of many generations with our work. Mm, yes, thank you. I'll be looking that up for sure. Well, it's been great having you on today's show. So thank you for being so generous with your time and with uh, sharing your knowledge. And it, uh, we hope to have you back again sometime. Thank you guys both. It was a pleasure um, to be on there. We're on the opposite end of the world here, right? Canada, Australia. So uh, we'll have to figure out a way. Either you guys come to Vancouver or me go to Australia so we have a chance to meet and do this. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I love what you guys are doing. Thanks for uh, putting these podcasts together. It's nice to educate um, ourselves, our colleagues. I learn lots. And uh, and, um, it's just it's great that you take the time to uh, put these together. So thank you. And thank you for uh, wanting to hear what I had to say. I'm honored that you thought I, I had some value for your podcast. Oh, thank you. I use a lot of your uh, nutrition fertility handouts from AccuBalance with my patients. Oh, I have done for several right. years. And doing this podcast is such a great benefit for Claire and I. We learn so much from every Chinese medicine expert that we get to spend time with. So it's, yeah, it, it gives <laughs> as fun. much to us. Yeah. You know, I get to moderate all the Metagogy and Pro-D, so it's, we're like kids in a candy store, aren't we? We get to talk to <laughs> our colleagues and we learn, and I just sit there and, uh, you know, everybody thinks it's so wonderful. I'm, like, so selfish. I think, like, look what the resources I've created for myself, like you guys are doing. Look what I've got for myself, and I'm sure you do what I do often, and you choose somebody you want to hear and learn a little something from. So, you know, it's just like, wow, right? You're getting, like, a, a, a post-doctorate just from your podcast. It's amazing. Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you I so much. Well. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We are so glad that you listen to us every week and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yes, if anybody wants to create a discussion about this podcast, please do so on our Facebook page. And thanks for listening. Bye for now. See you next week.